You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogues. Each week, we design new decks for tournament play, and then we put our creations to the test to share our findings on the air. We can see what worked, what didn't, and what could be proved for the next week. Tonight, I'm joined by David to discuss our top 10 picks from New Capena and what rules got us excited for both Border and Pioneer. That's all that's coming up on this edition of Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson. I am coming to you from a sunny Twin Cities, and I am joined by Emmy from the Southland. What is going on, my friend? Hey, hey, David. All great. Just enjoying this lovely fall in the city of Buenos Aires and fighting my allergies as per usual in this time <laughs> of the year. Showing the heart of a champion to fight through it. Dan is not joining us today. He is on vacation, a well-deserved vacation. I think he is in Mexico with his missus. He's in Mexico spending 80% of the time by the pool, which looks just beautiful in the video he posted on the Discord. There you go. There it is. Why would you sit at a pool when you could be sitting in a stuffy room playing Magic the Gathering? We don't know. But, you know, each uh, person needs to make their own decisions. <laughs> Someone has to make the bad decisions so we can make the correct ones. <laughs> exactly. But we're here. We're dedicated. And we're going to talk a little bit, both on this episode and the next episode, about kind of a wrap-up of spoiler season of New Capenna. Before we get to that today, we're going to go through our highlights for Pioneer, highlights for Modern. We, of course, have to take care of a little bit of housekeeping at the top. Exactly. So, first of all, for some tiny housekeeping, and thanks so much for to our two new patrons, Y and Jesus C. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for joining the Faithless family, and we hope to see you around in the Discord. It has become quite a big community, it's getting bigger and just a lovely place to discuss magic or even personal life. The off-topic chats that just get going a lot of the time, they just go deep. So can we just shout out somebody named Jesus C uh, joined on Easter Day? <laughs> Presumably after uh, rising from the dead, or I'm not sure. <laughs> he rose from the dead just to join our Discord on, on Sunday of Easter. That's perfectly that. You gotta spread the good word, Jesus. man. He is risen. <laughs> Spreading the good old word, the faithless word. Yeah, exactly. We were faithless, now we are filled with faith. Now we are the faithful brewing. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. That being said, why should you join our Patreon? Well, number one, it's the best way to support the show. Obviously, the number of patrons helps us in a bunch of different ways. Number two, just like you said, the Discord access. I mean, the Discord is popping off. There's tons of ideas and a bunch of different formats. There's a bunch of sweet merch. You can vote for cards, and then um, we've been embarking on a uh, monthly project with Serum Visions, which is, uh, I think, uh, rewarding a lot more um, interaction from the Discord. Yeah, we just recorded a few days ago, which should go up. Should be going up today. Should I think it went up today. Time. I think I saw it in my feed. Yeah, exactly. We had a lot of fun al- alongside Arun and Brian. Just absolute chaos of a recording. You should go hear it, everybody. What's Kind of fun. With today, we mean Thursday, just in case, because clearly, today is not today to you. Today, it's Saturday. And then our latest venture is this uh, YouTube project. So maybe you can break that down for us. So we have shown a tidbit of it in the past few week. In the past week, actually, on Friday we really uploaded the first episode, and I have a lot more content ready to fire. What we're doing is just showing you guys a bit of the gameplay behind what we're talking about, because you're gonna see us discussing today. Or in the next episode with David, like tech deck lists that mostly just concepts. And when we discuss them and when we played about them, you will never see, or before you could never see what we were actually doing with it. Why we were losing, why we were winning. There were situations where David would defend a deck that went 2 3 saying the deck is amazing, but I just flooded every single game. And now you can actually see that. Now you, you will know why does he say the deck is actually amazing, but shows you a 1 4 record. Or the other way around. I remember a time that where I think it was Cave that was I went for one, but please no one ever played this deck again. The deck was hideous. I just topped the deck amazingly by opening Sol Mulligan to four. You will get to see the mind with what we're discussing and not just keep the theory that besides the fact it's a bit biased, you won't get the f- true deck building behind it. What worked, what didn't, 
and how that they can be improved. So please, um, alongside this link, that will likely be the second or third video already uploaded. Please check it out. Give us some of the feedback about it. You can find us on YouTube, obviously, as Faceless Brewing. And tell us what you would like to see, what sort of content you enjoy the most. And the YouTube comments always help with the algorithm. And it looks like you'll be posting Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Exactly. That's the goal. Three videos a week, mostly playing the brews we will discuss about in our channel. Excellent. So yeah, if people, uh, you know, if you're in the car commuting and you're listening to the podcast, you come home and you want to uh, see it live in action, you just jump on YouTube, look up Faithless Brewing, and you can see the thrill of uh, somebody flooding out while assisting their deck is great. That's uh, what we've all been missing. <laughs> you can see beautiful stuff like Amy flooding out for the fourth game in a row, Dan having the time of his lifetime carrying his second of Oxagonas, and Tio David just having the time of his life playing some Pioneer. Yeah, there it is. Also, we're branching into other socials, so now we have an Instagram, a Facebook, might even have a TikTok soon, but that's on the summer inside of us to decide. <laughs> oh, hopefully we don't get into TikTok, if I'm being perfectly honest. Uh, but The fear, know. the boomer fear of the TikTok. Yeah, the exactly. I'm an old man. I, I can't be you know, doing that. I can't get into TikTok. I can't touch it with a 10-foot stick. All right, so that that is what is happening in the world of Faithless Brewing. What is happening in the world of Magic the Gathering? The big announcement, which happened this afternoon, the afternoon of the 21st of April, is that there is going to be a new format on Arena, which is non-rotating, a true-to-paper format, which makes it unique from Historic, so the, the nerfs uh, term that we use when they depowered certain cards and then powered up other cards, none of those things will be in there. Every card in this format will be Pioneer Legal, but it is not yet Pioneer, because all of the cards in Pioneer have not yet been printed. So it's called Explorer, and this is sort of a stepping stone towards uh, Pioneer. The message from Wizards was not clear about when the full Pioneer would be available as a format. They used the very general, uh, very ominous, uh, within a few years, I think, to describe the official yeah, timeline. Yeah. They had no intention of giving us a straight date of when we were going to be actual Pioneer instead of Explorer. So it's interesting. I mean, A, the there are a ton of formats on Arena already. You know, there's always the question about are they spreading themselves a little too thin? Explorer is not the format that people will be playing at the uh, Pro Tour that they just, or, or any of the regionals. So there's not a lot of incentive for high-level people to play there. It, I guess the hope is that people sort of like dip their toe into the format to prepare as Pioneer becomes a thing. So kind of an interesting decision. I'm not sure if it's a good one or a bad one. I'm glad that they're not putting Pioneer into Arena right now, though. I actually, it's a, yeah, I know why you would hate that. We were discussing this a, a bit earlier. The fear of Pioneer getting negatively affected by the Arena community plus the Arena economics. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and just the way that there aren't, like, tournament structures. You know, we have these challenges every week. And what we've seen in Pioneer and Modern is, yes, certain decks and, and archetypes can have great weekends, but the format is deep enough to allow for a certain type of churn and I'm not going to compare like uh, weekly challenges to like Grand Prix or whatever, but it's closer to that than whatever just grinding constantly on ladders uh, is. So you you have people that oh this was a great weekend for Blue Red Phoenix. The next weekend you can make a deck that attacks Blue Red Phoenix. You know you're going to see a lot of it. And then maybe you know the next weekend it's uh, combo decks or you know aggro decks with Graveyard Trespasser etc. So that kind of churn shows the the format's ability to uh, adjust to certain strong cards and, and strategies and archetypes. And we've seen that across both Modern and Pioneer. Certainly there are weeks when decks can feel, you know, very oppressive or very miserable or very uh, ubiquitous. But then we see uh, people adjust and all of a sudden, you know, four-color good stuff is sometimes the best deck to play in a tournament. And then other times there aren't any uh, in the top eight of a challenge, right, in Modern. So I think you need to allow a format to breathe like that. And the, the weekly challenge series, or, or there won't be a Grand Prix series, but, you know, a series of regional tournaments, I think, is a, is a chance for the format to show that it can adjust to quote-unquote tier one or, or s tier decks yeah ladder grinding is extremely different in any sort of game from like actual tournaments in the fact that you just find a deck and stick with it and just go hard because you're just gonna play x amount of hours every single day which is the amount of time you like and your results are gonna be based on that it's like the results on empty show being based on leagues rather than actual challenges or big tournament structures there's also the fact that the economy leads to a lot less brewing and innovation which cap with that is just going to lead everybody to play the same three or four decks in the new Pioneer format. 
Yeah, so it'll be interesting. A, are there certain cards that they're missing that will make certain decks more or less powerful in Explorer compared to Pioneer? That'll be really interesting to see, right? If they're, I don't, I don't know exactly what they're missing. Is it just Kaladesh? I'm not quite sure. Like, I was thinking about exactly this. Like, how different will this actually be from real Pioneer? And if so, will it be different? Because, like, the one thing that, like, missing Kaladesh cards is, is that you miss Fatal Push, which is the best removal spell in the entire Pioneer format. And that actually changes a bunch of different uh, lineups, right? If the, if the best removal spells are all red, then playing creatures that have, like, toughness of four is, like, a very legitimate thing to be doing. <laughs> but I think in Fatal Push is an arena, right? Which is extremely important because, as you said, if all the removal is just red, this will be just insane. So, yeah, well, I think that's kind of a wait and see. Obviously, Pioneer is a couple of years away. We all know if you ever work at a big company, that can mean never. Uh, or, it could, or it can mean uh, within nine months, right? The, the range is <laughs> quite wide. So, we'll have to see on that. The other announcement, uh, there's not too much to say about it, but they are... Increasing their uh, price of Magic the Gathering paper products, so that is cards, uh, by 11%. So that is packs, that is boxes, um, EDH, fat packs, I mean, whatever else they sell. Everything is, is in, increased across the board by 11%. Yeah, everything is going 11% up, and that's annoying, but not much we can do. Stick with it and hope it doesn't affect card prices a lot. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they can fix their foil problem if we're going to pay this extra premium, right? It's just, I'm not saying it would compensate for it, but at least be nice. Like, all right, I am paying more, but I can, like, these foils won't. I wouldn't complain nearly as much if they fix the foiling. I agree 100%. It's not like it makes it worth it, but at least I feel like I'm getting a fair agreement. Yeah, exactly. A fair I'm deal. paying for something. Maybe I wouldn't pay 11% just for that, but at least... But I would pay a 3-4, so I'm only getting started like a 5. It, what if, now, now, we're talking, now we're talking real numbers. So yeah, I mean, nobody likes it. We know that they had record profits uh, this last year, and, uh, you know... Whatever. Uh, we yeah. won't get into the vagaries of inflation, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, uh, like, personally, uh, like, in third world countries, we, I don't think we're even going to feel it because the price of magic has increased, like, 80% since 2018 just because of inflation. So what is inflation? What is research? I'm not even going to tell. <laughs> in more stable countries, I think you're going to take a bit of a punch, feel a bit of the third worldness of it. Right. <laughs> okay, so that is sort of the two big announcements. Neither of them really deals with what we like to do which is brew in non-rotating formats we just finished the new capenna spoilers you and dan and damon uh went through a bunch of them and all the cards have been spoiled we are just kind of in a waiting pattern i think they go online on like the 26th or 28th i think it's next friday 29th i think it's only on a thursday i think it's the 28th yeah thursday 28th will be on Arena. But let's see on TCO. That's what I'm checking right now. Besides that, are you playing the pre-release? No, I will not be playing the pre-release. Why is no one playing the pre-release? I'm playing the pre-release. Yeah, 28 on MTCO and Arena. All right, so that's a week from today. Uh, or, you know, less than a week by the time people are hearing this. So with that as the background, we are going to go through our... Uh, not really official top 10 list, but our list of cards we're interested in from the new set. I will talk about Pioneer. Emmy will talk about Modern. And we'll see what we can come up with here. Yeah, of course. So, want to start us up, give us your 10 most innovative or at least ruin-worthy cards from Nuka Pena. Yeah, so I kind of have these tiered. The first two are actual like great cards, I think, that will lead to like archetypes built around them. And in particular, the first card is uh, Nicholas, the three-mana Planeswalker. Um, I think this is a card that uh, caught a lot of people's eye right away. It's obviously super powerful. We're going to have to see how powerful it is. Like the when you play it out in your mind, it just seems like insane. You can have two Planeswalkers in play on turn two, and they're both, you know, draining your opponent for two mana, uh, for two life. So, I mean, but that... Opening line also must have seemed obvious to Wizards. So, you know, I'm going to give them a little benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's not quite as good as we think. Maybe it's it's easier to avoid or, I mean, I, I don't know. But it seems like, <laughs> I mean, it just it's, the, the, the opening lines in my head just seem insane. For right now, I think this is this looks like clear cut to me the most powerful card. And I've jokingly called this set kind of looks like Strixhaven. Um, on the Discord, and I think on Nixilis is kind of like the expressive iteration, the the one sort of super powerful standout card that's you know very cheap for what it gives you. It seems to have applications in Standard, in Pioneer, um, in Modern. I'll let Emmy speak to that. 
Yeah, just just a very powerful card. Yeah, it's just a good old card. Like, it, the card offers you a dream that doesn't seem impossible to achieve, right? And it offers you, like, the dream scenario that's actually extremely powerful. And, in, in, in general, just to being a powerful card, it also has these outs, right? Where sometimes you'll get to play it with a creature with seven power. You don't have to do that. Or a creature with six power or whatever. And you're just threatening this ultimate, which is not necessarily game-winning, but is incredibly powerful. So, yeah, it's it's... It also is like weirdly a card that lends itself to brewing because it does have these, you know, you can play just a generically powerful three minute planeswalker that makes two planeswalkers and you just tick them up. Uh, you can also, you know, whatever, sack a bunch of seven power creatures and then all of a sudden, you know, your your hands full and, you know, you just, you're feeling great or you're feeling seven health points lower, but. Uh, but now my hand is like eight cards and now I can do whatever I want. So that's number one for me. The other card that I think is maybe getting a little bit less noticed, but I think is just incredibly powerful, especially in Pioneer, uh, is Unlicensed Hearse. So just a quick reminder, this is a two-mana artifact vehicle. Its power and toughness are star-star. When uh, it's, uh, You can tap it to exile two target cards from an opponent's graveyard. And then it's crew two. And then its power and toughness are equal to the number of cards exiled with it. Yes, the beast is just huge relic of Progenitus. <laughs> yeah, like a super relic that also... The the thing with relic is, yes, it can hit graveyard cards. It can even be, you know, pseudo-main deckable. In, in modern, maybe even you can fit like one graveyard hate piece in a lot of your Urza Saga lists. But you can't have too many of them because, you know, you're basically paying two mana in a cycle against certain decks where the graveyard doesn't matter. But the thing is, unlicensed hearse in a, in a deck that wants to attack... Eventually just becomes a creature, right? That's six power, four power, hell, even two power. And that, like, default, it's like, eventually you just have to attack, right? And so, do you want to play a deck with uh, Magda, where this just lets you tap Magda when it comes into play? You can do that. Do you want to play a deck where it's just attacking graveyards? That's actually insane against uh, the all the Greasefang lists, all the um, blue-red Phoenix lists. Not that many people are casting Dig Through Time anymore, but it's fine against them, too. Yeah, it just kind of does everything. So this card seems really great to me. I actually think it's going to alter how Blue-Red has to construct itself. Uh, because I think the fact that you could play this main deck in some number... Like, Blue-Red just can't beat this game one. Uh, I think a turn two Unlicensed Hearse is almost unbeatable for Blue-Red. So it's like you have to be playing a Braids now in your sideboard, which you're starting to get pretty thin in terms of all the sideboard cards they need. They need to have one mana, two mana answers for... Winota, they need to have ways to answer Narset, they need to have ways to, you know, fight Control, they need to have ways to fight Phoenix, and then they also now have to play, like, multiple Abrades because Unlicensed Hearse is so good against them. The fact that it's also an almost main deckable card is really intriguing. Right, I mean, I even have, like, a rough uh, approximate list of, like, a processor deck, where you can just, now because you have these main deckable cards, this, Graveyard Trespasser, uh, Kalidus, there's just a, there's a lot of cards that are, like, are main deckable or close to main deckable. I guess we'll find out if Unlicensed Hearse is, is main deckable or not. And then the processor cards just put the, more cards back in the graveyard, right? So you just can exile them again if you want to make your Hearse even bigger. It's it's really... Wait, how does, how does that work? Well, once they're put back in your graveyard, I think they're no longer an exiled card for Unlicensed Hearse. So it just looks at the specific cards that are still in exile. So it would make its power and toughness smaller. But they're also bodies, right? So like they're they're the processors that we're thinking of are the three two that gives minus three minus three, and then there's a a four mana two three counters a spell when it comes into play. Both of those have enough power to crew the hearse as well. Okay. So one of my favorite cards of all time is Vice Strangler. So you should say the word processor and I'm excited. Yeah, like <laughs> I mean how are they how is Blue Red Phoenix the thing is like the, the 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 thing that people don't understand is like, oh yeah, Blue Red Phoenix doesn't really need to cast Treasure Cruise to win. It's like true, but they do have to cast a bunch of spells, which means I have a two mana artifact that's growing by two every turn, and the only removal in all these lists is red. And like Blue Red Control only has shocks and things that functionally do three damage. Well, they'll never get to do three damage with a spell because it requires spell uh, mastery, and, and Unlicensed Hearse is going to make sure they don't have that. So, what do they leave up three red or whatever? Like, once my Unlicensed Hearse is 6-6, six, six, they can't stop it. It's not a creature when they are going to flip their thing in the ice, right? So, it's like they don't have a main deck way to actually kill this, and it stops them from ever casting Treasure Cruise, and it just grows by two a turn because they have to cast multiple spells just to do their normal stuff, to flip their thing in the ice, to find their uh, Narset or, or whatever. It's just unbeatable against them. It's, it's crazy how powerful this card is. Yeah, just the fact you get to crew it. I mean, it's one of the few scenarios where not being a creature is like a huge upside on a stuff like this that you actually want to pressure your opponent with, but you can just conceal it till you want to attack because the crew 2 cost is so low that you know you will have a creature in most scenarios. 
And then if you want to get like fancy, you can play Magda with it if you want. You can play um, Voice of Resurgence with this card if you want, right? Like whenever you make it a creature, the only time they can fatal push it or whatever is when you have your Voice of Resurgence in play. So you get your uh, Keldon Warlord for old people like me. Um, no. <laughs> Why? But yeah, there's all the creatures with that text. That's the first one. Sweetheart, also on the Keldon Warlord. Why is this a four drop? <laughs> it was rare. <laughs> Why is this a old magic hurts me to my deep soul? <laughs> the, the art is gorgeous. Doesn't look like magic. Looks like some game from the eighties. Yeah, exactly. He looks like he's you know fronting a band uh, named after something diabolic. Warlords of Keldor of Keldon. Yeah. So anyway, those are my two cards that I think are actually like great cards. I think these are super powerful cards. I think they're just going to be part of the firmament of the format. If I'm wrong about li- Unlicensed Hearse, I don't think I'm wrong by that much. I think it will be like one of the best sideboard cards for any deck with creatures. Bring it in instead of Rest in Peace. And your post-board games against Blue Red Phoenix will be much better. Um, and I, like honestly, can they, how many abrades can they afford to play? Like two? So... The fact it's targeted, which is something really new for the Sinus Effect, makes a huge difference. Yeah, that that's, that is the huge thing. So it's like, you'll never ever get got by Esper Fang as long as this is in play. Yeah, it's it's just a super super interesting card, really unique. It, it does something that uh, other cards don't. So th- those are my two actual factual cards. Everything else I'm going to talk about is sort of like speculative, or they kind of fit into our sort of inaugural random categories. We always get in each set a possible upgrade to a mana base. In this set, we have the very real upgrade, which is the completing the set of Trilands. The one thing I would note there, though, is like Triland-based mana bases are not doing well right now. The format is really fast. Nimizid is not doing great. The various fires lists that would maybe play one or two extra different kinds of Triomes are not doing well. There are, of course, a bunch of like Bant lists, Bant Girl Spiral lists that I've been talking about forever. Like I'm excited to try, and I think the Trilands make those more possible. But just in general, the the archetypes that play Trilands, the ones that we have now are not doing well. Like the 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 format is really punishing. Uh, it's it's faster than it's ever been. So. So what surprised me, I haven't played a lot of, of Pioneer yet. I have started getting into the format, but I found out the same stuff that you just said. The fact that Trilands are deemed too slow just shocked me. Like, even in modern, you're playing more Trilands than in Pioneer generally, and you have better mana bases. So it was a bit intriguing how mana base in Pioneer has become mostly pathway based. Yeah, and, and if you're going to go Pathway-based, then you have to play two colors exactly. Uh, the, I think yeah. you really struggle to play three colors with Pathways. It's so easy to get screwed. If you go the Triland route, then you can play three colors relatively comfortably because you can play the old-school check lands and the duels. And again, if it's a Girl Spiral list, then you can probably, depending on your build, you can afford to play the um, the fetch land for basics, You know, if you're going to play like Omnath, etc., but yeah, those are all choices you have to make. Like, as soon as you want your mana to be smooth, you have to play two colors. And then it's Pathways, Shocks, you know, three to four uh, creature lands from the, the Forgotten Realm set, and that you're kind of locked into your mana. And, and obviously the, the new lands from Kamigawa. Yeah. So yeah, I think tri- the Trilands tri- are cool. Obviously, it's great to complete the cycle. I just don't think they're going to actually make as much difference as people think. Other than I really want to play, like, a fair, like, controllish version of a Growth Spiral Lotus Field deck with five mana Teferi. I think that's much more possible now. Yeah, just the addition of the new Triumphs makes splashing certain colors a lot easier than it was a few days ago. Like, on Thursday, some archetypes just come to life. The same will happen in Modern, where playing Sheska is a lot better than just playing Band because of Frog Green Triumph. And all of a sudden, you have the Broker's Tower, and I'm like, okay, now I can play green. Or at least I have the possibility of doing so efficiently. Yeah, it's one of those where the Trilands actually make a much bigger difference in Modern because there's fetch lands, so you can... Yeah. Put one Triland in a deck, you can see it basically every game, right? Because all your 11 or 12 fetch lands find it. You just add one Triland, and all of a sudden your mana base becomes like 15% better. Yeah, exactly. Right. All right. The other inaugural category we always have is possible new upgrades for tutor targets. So the first one I want to highlight is Nimble Larcenist. This is a uh, Esper 2-1 flying. When it comes into play, target opponent reveals their hand, and you may take an instant source or artifact from their hand and exile it. This is basically just an upgrade to the, the one white-black 2-1. Um, Sync Collector. Yeah. So this is basically just an upgraded Sync Collector. The decks that were playing Sync Collector, for the most part, were 
uh, only playing it because it, it can be tutored with Enigmatic Incarnation. Uh, this is just better than that, right? It, can, it hits a, an extra type. It has flying. Um, it does everything you want, sort of. Yeah, so I'm not saying like this is a card that people are going to brew around or whatever, but I'm saying it's going to be in 75s because someone 5-0s with Enigmatic Incarnation every week, and there's no reason not to play this because they're already playing blue. And you're casting this card very rarely. It's almost always just getting tutored for against, you know, blue eye control, against um, Lotus Field, etc. Exactly. Especially now that anybody had a bit of an assertion with the new elemental builds. So hope hope they see some plays. I love the new. I love I love the special art from this card. Yeah, super cool. The other tutor target I want to talk about is Titan of Industry. This is the new. I guess it's not a Titan Titan. Um. But this is four green, green, green for a uh, seven, seven reach trample elemental. And then when it comes into play, you get to choose two of the following four uh, effects. Disenchant, so that means destroy target, artifact, or enchantment. Target player gains five life. Create a four, four green rhino warrior creature token or put a shield counter on a creature you control. So this card is not necessarily as good as Coma or Agent of Treachery or... or um, some of the other like boom booms we've had, but it is a mono green one that's close and in some matchups is actually better, right? Like against burn, this is actually much better than coma. If it's going to die, the turn it comes into play, it's, it's better than coma, right? You'll, you get something. Um, and it means you don't have to play blue. So we will talk about this on our uh, Monday show, but um, this is going to allow us to play Titan of Industry in a Jund uh, Transmogrify shell. So I don't know if it's worth it as like a reanimator because typically blue has the best looting. So if you're going to play blue anyway, then I think there's better targets. But for Transmogrify, you don't necessarily have to play blue now because uh, this card is pretty close. And like I said, in some matchups, I think it's actually much better. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, this allows you to have a more straightforward mana base in a format like Pioneer that becomes a lot more relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Below that, you have exactly the addition for the exact same deck. Yeah, so we, we always... The other thing we often have in each set is like a random card that is specifically good in Transmogrify build. So it's always something that makes a creature without being a creature itself. The new card is Courier's Briefcase. It's sort of the inversion of the uh, Innkeeper. There, there may be lots of other implications of having a 1-1 tied to, but not a creature itself, tied to a 2-mana artifact treasure. But the most obvious one is as just as a Transmogrify enabler. It ramps to Transmogrify a turn earlier. Um, it puts a creature into play. It has this other text where you can draw three cards. Don't know how relevant that's going to be. Maybe you play like a few extra Trilands in your, you know, the like Fighters Transmogrify list. So in, in a pinch, you can blow it up. Uh, but yeah, this this card is like, it just fits really well, like in, in a shell that I'm describing. If you could get a Titan of Industry down in turn three, I think you're going to win most of those games, uh, especially against decks that are, are using red removal. I mean, getting 11 power on turn three should win you the game against red. At least you try. <laughs> if, if it's not winning, then it's time to rethink uh, where we're at. <laughs> All right, then we have another classic, a random expensive vampire to try with three mana Soren. So three mana Soren, if you've got a deck, you know, built around it, is the most three powerful three mana planeswalker in the format. Uh, more powerful even than Narset, I think. And so is Lord Xander going to be good enough? You know, I'm pretty skeptical. I, d I don't know if this card is going to do it, but uh, it's it. you have to at least try it because it's so, <laughs> I mean, you're putting a seven mana creature in play on turn three without having to do anything too fancy. You're, you're just playing a powerful planeswalker. So just a reminder, everyone, uh, uh, Xander's four colorless, a blue, a black, and a red for a 6-6 six, six Vampire Demon Noble. When it enters the battlefield, target opponent discards half the ca cards in their hand rounded down. So they have six cards in their hand. They discard three of them. When it attacks, they mill half their library rounded down. And then when it dies, target opponent sacrifices half the non-land permanents they control rounded down. So if they don't have two non-land permanents, if they have less, if they have one, they don't lose anything. Yeah, the render down is the only thing that just makes this card go from amazing to... Mm. Right. Because, yeah, if they have, like, one Teferi or something, then Lord Xander doesn't do anything. Yeah, or they have one card in hand, or three. Yeah. But still, I mean, if you're talking about on the play, putting this into play uh, with your with your Sorin after you thought sees them or whatever, and they've got five cards in their hand, just, just, a, just a three mana, six, six, your opponent discards two, is, you know, pretty reasonable. Yeah. And I think, and I think that we also have all these cheap vampires with blood, 
I think you want to play the, uh, this as in a red blacklist where you can kind of loot this away if, if you don't have your Sorin. Okay, yeah. Just having the capability of getting rid of it when you are not comboing in between quotes. Yeah, exactly. And if you want to play the uh, previous expensive vampire from the uh, two sets ago, which is that six mana uh, vampire that when it attacks, you get to bring back a, uh, a vampire from your graveyard tapped and attacking. Again, you get your Lord Xander um, trigger that way. So you can play like a couple of her, a couple of Lord Xander. You can play a normal vampire underneath. Red Black has reasonable mana. Yeah, I mean, we have to find out if it's good enough. You know, I don't think Lord Xander like changes the equation and we haven't seen a lot of like vampires decks doing great. It certainly is, is worth it for the memes. I mean, the first time you play this on turn three and if it feels like it actually like doesn't lead to wins, you're like, oh, okay, well, this isn't worth doing because it like wrecks my mana and it's only good with Sorin. Yeah. So it is, I think this is a combo piece in an aggro deck or like a mirror shell rather than a plan on its own. You just have it there, the lingering possibility of if I get a turn three Sander, I can even I can win even the hardest matchups. All right, next up is the classic card that is a slight upgrade for mono black. Um, we've had the uh, that black vehicle uh, from um, the Neon Dynasty. This is like another two drop. So tenacious underdog, one in a black for a three two blitz to black black, and you may pay its blitz cost to cast it out of the graveyard. So just a reminder that. If you cast a card for its blitz cost, it comes into play with haste. You sacrifice it at the end of your turn, and you get to draw a card. Uh, oh, also, you have to pay two life to uh, to blitz a tenacious underdog. My, my apologies. So, you know, is this better than Scrap Heap Scrounger? Is it worse? I I don't know. There's there's obviously pluses and minuses. Can you play a bunch of them? Obviously, a bunch of Scrap Heap Scroungers eat through your graveyard quite quickly. They don't always come back. This is a value card in the late game, like against control. You just keep bringing it back. Again, now there's so much more exile base removal, right? White has two playable effects at exile. Red has a much better exile effect for one mana. So maybe all these cards are just not good enough. Um. <laughs> maybe Scrap Heap is, is, is also playable. Yeah. Yeah. Also, important part about Blitz is the fact that I Dan hadn't realized this, so I think it's worth mentioning, is that you get to draw when this creature dies, not when it gets sacrificed to its trigger. Oh. Exactly. So, sacrifice it, die in combat, or anything, or opponent has to remove it with a non-exile base, you still get your draw. It doesn't have to make it to the end step. So you could, for instance, Blitz in Tenacious Underdog, crew up your black uh, vehicle from the last set, um, the the other minor upgrade. Let it die and they still draw a card. Yeah, there you go. Okay. So, okay. I mean, you know, th there's just, there's something that's worth doing there. And you know, like I said, it, it lines up very poorly against a lot of the Exile effects, but it is a very powerful card. So I just wanted to mention it. I think somebody will 5-0 with, you know, when they find the right mix of all these uh, very good black uh, aggro threats because the, the base of Fatal Push plus Thoughtseize just gives that deck a lot of flexibility to attack various other archetypes. Yeah, the fact that you can just... I think the only card I fear a lot when I talk about Tenacious Underdog is the Wandering Emperor because of how just efficient it is at just exiling it and get rid of it. Yeah. Because that's what the Wandering does. Yeah, that's going to feel pretty bad. And you you don't even get to draw. That's just the worst nightmare. Blitz by Underdog on turn 4, get Emperor, concede the game. Seems like a common line. <laughs> Straight up concede. Yeah, that that does sound terrible. So yeah, again... I'm not sure any of these cards will get there, but they all fit these archetypes, right? We often get a card that's a slight mono upgrade for mono black. This is the inaugural card that checks that box for the set. And then you have a beautiful card that yes. I absolutely love. Exactly. So my favorite and uh, Emmy's favorite is the value white card, right? That's a little clunky. We, a little too slow, but we still love it. Yeah, exactly. So the, the typically it's three mana. This set is no exception. We have the three mana value white card. Extraction specialist. specialist. So this is... Two and a white, three, two lifelink. When it enters a battlefield, return target creature with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. That creature can't attack or block as long as you control extraction specialist. So if you get back uh, the charming prince, you can blink extraction specialist. You can get even more value. Um, you can get back your uh, one, one uh, uh, cleric that, you know, exiles itself and turns into a demon. You can get back whatever, you know, <laughs> a bunch of random stuff, I guess. It only gets creatures. The, the best two things to bring back are the one one that they can see the five five demon and charming priest to just get another creature on the same turn. Just go like value value lines. Get back charming, blink it, get another creature. Yeah, and then the charming can attack. Yeah, and the charming is free from the curse. 
So yeah, again, we had uh, we had a three mana um, saga in the last set, right? That got a planes when it came into play, and then it like discarded a card and returned a, a permanent of two mana or less. Very similar to this in terms of a three mana white value play. This is in the same kind of uh, thing. And I'm telling you that there will be like a Urian like white black list that has this card in it that five O's for sure. So, you know, Urian blinks this, it comes back on end of turn, it gets back Wandering Prince, uh, Charming Prince, Charming Prince blinks it, this returns at the end of the next turn, gets back another thing, like you've added, you know, whatever, 10 power to the board, and, you know, on, but you've had to just play all these, you know, two, two mana two twos and stuff throughout the game. So, cool card, fun card, like I said, someone's for sure going to 5-0 with it, I don't think it's going to change anything about the format, but it's just a card to highlight, it's just super cool card, and, and, um, it's, it's of an archetype that we see a lot. Also, Shas, it's sort of card people love, right? Value cards that maybe are a bit too slow. Because if they're too powerful, people don't like value cards. Yes, people exactly. don't like Udo. But we no. like them where they're slightly underpowered. Yep. All right, then the next archetype we have is three-mana removal with upside. So I have four of the better ones highlighted here um, in the order of how good I think they are. So Riveteer's Charm is the Jun Charm. I think this card is just priced to move, right? We have a three-mana effect that we've seen just for two and a black. It was playable, the removal half. The default kind of draw three is actually really powerful um, at instant speed. And then exiling your graveyard is, you know, not a great effect, except for when you need it. And then it's the best effect in the world. It's a free addition to two playable modes, right? We have two great modes and we just had to add a third one. So here you have exile graveyards and that's it. Yep. I think... Um I think that card is uh, is going to see play. Like, again, there is no Jund mid-range, Jund, you know, controlling deck right now. But if there is, Riveter's Charm is the exact kind of card that that deck would want. Broker's Charm is the Bant Charm. So that's instant speed draw two, which again, does not exist in the format. It gives plus one, plus O oh to a creature, and then it bites. So it does its power to a Planeswalker creature. And then it destroys target enchantments. Destroy target enchantment is much weaker in Pioneer. There's only Ascendancy, really, uh, worth destroying. At times, maybe you'd want to kill uh, Fable of the of Kiki-Jiki, or Fer Fable of the Mirror. Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you're losing that exchange, right? They, they've already got a 2-2, or, or they got a 2-2 and uh, Rummage twice. But if you have to, if you have, if you have to kill the flip version... I mean, sometimes you just have to kill the flip version. That's just how it is. But yeah, I just think in a flash list, again, we're talking about maybe making some, you know, Gross Spiral Bant flash lists. If we're going to play like Nightpack Ambusher in that list, Broker's Charm gets way better. The bite mode is actually going to basically kill any Planeswalker or creature. Um, draw two at instant speed is actually very powerful to pair with Gross Spiral and two mana counter spells. So uh, I, I think it'll see some play. I think so as well. Like this, this, I think that just the fact they went like, Powerful on the charms means a lot. They are not amazing, they're not like broken, but they're actually interesting cards that really fit into the archetypes you want them. Yeah. And then we have Void Ren, so that's Esper Instant, destroy target, non land, permanent. Simple. Uncontrollable. Can't be countered, yeah. If there's an Esper control deck, they're gonna play one or two of these for sure. You know, boring card, nothing more to say about it, but like that's just that's just an effect that you want in a control deck, right? You can let certain cards resolve, you can destroy any permanent that's giving you grief. Um, you know, nothing is safe. Yes, just strong, non-conditional removal. Modern day Vindicate. Yeah. And then worst version of that, but interesting, is Endless Detour, which is Bant Instant, and it's like an Ether Gust. So you can hit any non-land permanent, and your opponent can choose to put it on the top or bottom of their uh, library. Or you can target a card in your graveyard, and or excuse me, in any graveyard, and put it on top of the library. So it's kind of cool that even a pinch, if you really need to, you could, you know, put five mana to fairy on top of your graveyard uh, on your opponent's end of turn. And now at least, you know, you're drawing a good card. It's a card loss to do that. But if there are certain cards in your deck that are so powerful that um, they're worth getting, then it, it's not a card that you'd want to do that effect where you're like, okay, I get to put a shark typhoon on top of my deck or whatever, but it's nice to have the option in a card that functions as like a default removal spell. Or a counter, or a, like a, the fact that you can just target stuff in the, in the stack, on the board, on the graveyard, it's just like one of the most personal cards ever printed, I think. Might actually be the most personal card ever printed. Yeah, I mean, it can even stop Reanimator, right? They target their, uh, the, the six white, white, uh, vehicle. Parhelion. Yeah, you put it on top of their library. It's just, it can, it can handle anything, like, just as a one of eraser to do a thing. Now, putting on top or bottom of their library is not great, right? If it's a card that you really don't want to resolve. At the same time, like, people are playing cards that can't be countered. So it's actually quite good, right? In post board games, 
Phoenix is bringing in the uh, five blue blue seven seven that's uncounterable and Hullbreaker. Uh, yeah, exactly. So like, it's actually way better, right, against Hullbreaker than something like Voidrend would be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, never letting it resolve, not allowing them to bounce or protect it ever. So you know maybe. Is it is it main deckable and like again a bant flash? I mean, how many three mana spells can you play if you're playing a couple of broker's charms? Are you going to play on this detour? Are you going to play like a, a actual hard counters in there? It, you need to figure out what the mix is going to be. But I, you know, like you said, it's maybe the most versatile card ever. Three mana is a lot. You don't want to play too many three mana removal spells. It it is that like get out of jail free card against a bunch of random effects that uh, normally you can't interact with. Gets you know stops uh, nib visit is in a main deckable way. Yeah, maybe it's versatile enough for that sword to actually want. Not powerful, just versatile. All right, and then we have the upgraded uh, Sacrifice Fodder. So that's Unlucky Witness. One red for a 1-1 human citizen. When it dies, you may exile the top two cards of your library, and you may play one of them until the end of your next turn. Better eye twitch. Way better eye twitch. I think it's better than uh, Epicure, uh, especially if we're going to play Obnixilis. Yeah, might actually. The thing is, like... You can just block with this card. Like, you guys on the pod talked about comparing it to the artifact, the red mana artifact, that uh, exiles when it comes into play, and then it exiles when it when it's uh, sacrificed. But, like, that card is basically unplayable if you're not playing only Cult Anvil, and you can never play it on turn one. Like, you can't trust it to, like, help you hit your second land drop, unless you're just, like, hoping to do it in the dark on turn two. Like, this card is just going to block eventually. Like, against an aggro deck, you just play it. Like, they have to kill it, or they have to attack and it dies. So it's just going to find you a land, or if you have a bunch of lands in your hand, it's going to find you something else. Like, looking at your top two is so much better than drawing a card. Um, Yeah, I just think this, I think this card is incredibly powerful, and specifically because we have a card that wants to sacrifice specifically creatures in Obnixilis. Um, so the the appeal of Deadly Dispute, right, is, like, okay, if they kill my Epicure, at least I can sacrifice my blood. Obnixilis does not care about blood tokens. It does not care about clue tokens. It does not care about food tokens, right? It needs a creature with power, right? You can't sacrifice your goose. Or you can, but you're just not going to get much for it. Um, <laughs> if a Planeswalker going to the graveyard does something for you. But Unlucky Witness uh, is going to give you a lot for the sacrifice of the uh, Obnixilis. Yeah, that's like the dream curve, right? Like turn one the turn one this into a turn two creature or removal spell or discard spell into a turn three Omnixilis, get it get your next turn land drop or a four mana play and just curve your opponent out. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I don't think Unlucky Witness itself is powerful, but the sacrifice effects that they printed are getting more and more powerful. Omnixilis I think is one of the best ones, and Unlucky Witness is in the same color. Uh and uh and, and is gives you a lot of value for that sacrifice. Then we always have the random tribal card. So last set was the tribal land uh, that was quite important in Pioneer to tap for any color. This set, the card is uh, Giada, Giada. Two mana, two, two. Angel, legend. Every other angel comes into play with a plus one, plus one counter on it and taps to make a white mana. Wait, with a plus one, plus one counter for every angel you control. Like it gets exponential faster. Oh, okay. There you go. So it taps to make a white mana and that white mana can be used only to play angel spells. So super cool card, super powerful card. The Angel's deck has basically like gone away. You just hardly ever see it anymore because people are playing Bone Crusher Giant again and uh, Fatal Pushes everywhere. So this card, I, I really don't think that like playing a two mana two two is a thing you can do anymore. It's just so bad. You trade down in mana with a Phoenix list and in the red black list, you just take half of a Bone Crusher, which is the problem in standard. But this card is awesome. It's just super fun. People are going to play it. It's awesome if you can like collect a company into this and another angel on your end step and then play an angel on your turn. Um, you're, you're adding a ton of power to the board. So people are going to try this. People love angels. People love tribal decks. Uh, Giada is a, is a very powerful like lord slash enabler. Uh, very modern design, right? We have the enabler and the payoff on the same card. It does mostly everything. Yeah, and it's still not going to be good enough, but it's just a card of flag. People are going to play a bunch of angels list. People love that stuff, so and they should. I mean, it's it's fun. People love angels. I love angels. And Shiada is one of the... Like, if this card was any other common type, it would be completely broken. Like, if this was a goblin, human, spirit, sliver, it would be amazing. <laughs> yes. So they made an angel. Yeah. And then the last card, I'm not sure how good it's going to be in Pioneer. I think uh, you and Dan were outlining a bunch of cool uses for it in Modern, is uh, Giada's Blade, uh, Luxior. Luxior. Um, yeah, this card is super unique. I don't know if it's good or bad. There are a few combos you can play with it in Pioneer, but they invite invite you to play a bunch of all bad cards. Can you play it fair and just like crew up uh, the blue red three mana Planeswalker? Probably. That sounds sweet. <laughs> like you attack for nine on on turn four. Uh, trample first strike. So yeah, I mean, is this card good? I, I don't know. I don't think so. But you know, maybe it's awesome. So. 
Yeah, still a bit. I don't think you can play this fairly. Just because playing fair equipment is really tough unless they are insane, like cranial plating. But we can hope. We can yeah. always hope. Yes. So that's it. And the other note is, I love a lot of these connive cards. Obviously, we're like a pro-looting <laughs> podcast in general. Looting for value. Like, I actually love the the 3-1 that connives and, like, sort of counters a spell when it comes into play. And then it's like a 4-2. Yeah, 4-2 lifelink. That card just seems so sweet to me. Uh, you guys were laughing, but the 2-1 the that loots is actually, like, better than most of these cards. <laughs> it's one of the best cards in this set. The 2 mana 1-3 that flies? No, it's a 2-mana two 2-1 <laughs> that just connives when it comes into play. Yeah, it might just be better than half the cards. Yeah, oh yeah. But uh, I think with Unlicensed Hearse, I mean, maybe no one believes in Unlicensed Hearse and it's just going to be me. Like, it's like Graveyard Trespasser. Like, Damon and Dan are just giving me shit about it. And then it's like, oh, this card's just like 20 ticks now. Like, everyone's just playing four of them because it's just awesome. I have, I have faith in your Hearse. Like, I, I think the Hearse is a lot better than people think. Yeah, so so if Hearse is awesome, then you don't want to do any of this nonsense stuff, right? You have to wait until Hearse chases away the graveyard deck, so then you can't main deck Hearse, and then you can play all your fun connive cards. So you just have to wait, like, three cycles, and then we're back to me making a bunch of really medium connive lists. Okay, and then you get targeted by the ESET decks, and everything goes back to full circle. Yep, exactly right. You have no chance against decks that are playing, like, eight shocks. You play your format at Kanai, they just kill it with the trigger on the stack. And you're like, all right, I, I can't play this anymore. I tried. Again, I think this set is super cool. I think this set is super fun, but I just don't think these cards are actually that powerful, uh, with the exception of the first two at the beginning. But you see, like, they've got a bunch of stuff that, like, check a lot of the boxes, right? It fits in with our Transmogrify plan. It fits in with some of the removal plan. But the format, like you're saying... It's very cutthroat right now, right? The mana is really winnowed down to some narrow two-mana ranges. The the casting costs are, are really going down. Like, no one's even playing Omnath, for instance. That that tells you how efficient everything is. So, you know, you're having me talk about how sweet it would be to cast, like, Riveteer's Charm on my opponent's end step. And it's like, yeah, of course. I love that shit. You know, I'm just an old man. But playing... will I survive? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> will um, I survive to turn three end step while just doing value stuff? So that that's going to be the question is, can you make your mana work? Can you cast Riveteer's Charm on a relatively clean board? If you can, then we're, we are playing the kind of magic that I fell in love with. Uh, if you can't, then you're going to want to only be casting Unlicensed Hearse or Omnixilis uh, uh, out of this set. Seems like a beautiful expansion for Pioneer. Just not powerful enough. More cute and interesting than powerful. Or I could be wrong. I will say, like, there wasn't anybody that was better at predicting what cards are going to be awesome out of Neon Dynasty. Like, I almost jumped on that first week when you guys were going through all the 5 lists. Like, it was literally my prediction made manifest. So we'll see if I got it right again. I don't always get it right, but... But it was a good start, so... Yeah. So that's Pioneer. Let's talk about Modern. I do not play that much Modern anymore. That's why we have Emmy here to actually talk from experience about what what the set actually needs to see. I see you have three cards highlighted as kind of a tier above uh, everything else. Yeah, sort of a similar scenario to you. Like, I think, like, far and away, we don't even have a point of contemplation. The most important card in the set, as we mentioned previously, are the Triumphs. Do you, do you think the Triumph is going to enable, like, new decks? Like, are there going to be more Esper control decks because you can play one Esper Triome? Is there going to be more, like, is there a certain deck that could be banned that was always just guy before, specifically, or...? A Sodius Control is ex- plays Fire and Ice instead of Coatl just because of Rogue Triome over Pan Triome, for example. Okay, so you think just, at a minimum, we'll just see more people just try, like, variations like that just because they can yeah, the expert control list from like Spike becomes absurdly better once you can go turn one expert triumph into turn two other stuff. Like there's a lot of deck lists that just become more progressively powerful because you have the correct triumphs. Any attempt at playing Grixis control was really nerfed by the fact that you didn't have perfect mana when compared to other stuff as well. Do you think the triumphs will show up in non-control lists? Like can you play, I know you maybe you don't want to do it in like Shadow because you want to actually hurt yourself, but... Midrange decks tend to play a shot. Like, I think, for, him, for, for example, Shan Midrange, like traditional Shan, Boomer Shan or New Shan, is going to play a Shan Triumph, mostly because it also has a Brandon 6, which means it's not at the top deck in the mid game to late game. You just are cycling plus plus in Brandon 6. I don't think Shun Saga is going to do so because it's a lot faster, but Shun Midrange or any Midrange deck wants at least one Triumph in most scenarios. Okay, so what about, you know, a lot of times when we're seeing um, Wilderness Reclamations in a teamer list, part of it is the, the Triumph, part of it is because uh, Renin 6 is important. Will there maybe be more Bant uh, Wilderness Reclamation list, or is... is, is um Red and six is just so good. We 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 can't really leave red. Behind. I mean, it also allows you to splash the fourth color a lot easier. Once if your fourth color was in a non triumph, right? Like for example, the Asodius deck I have been playing, the Asodius Emeria Control, 
pretty likely becomes banned with access to ban trium because the fact that right now if you're running to set up an emeria how how can you consistently cast quarrel without ever getting a breeding pool right and this just really allows to, to enable that expert control deck list and regarding this, the reclamations i think renan 6 is just too good of a card you can't cut renan 6 out of i want to make land drop stick all right, so what about uh, four-color good stuff, four-color rich kid, whatever you want to call it? You've played a lot of that with various iterations. I mean, the triomes obviously help, but it, the mana can't be getting that much better because you already had triomes to no, fetch. sort of. There's a possibility that changing the triomes, you can splash Kaya Skyle in powerful graveyard scenarios, like in scenarios where the graveyard is really relevant in the meta, because it's the best card that allows you to play a pro uh, reactive game while also attacking graveyards in your main deck. Okay. But besides that, I think it will be a small change of triumphs. Right now, the deck is playing Sheskai and Demur. I think at least one of them is going to become the bad one, as it's the most color existence in the deck. Unless in the non-Ragavan versions. Okay, okay. And it's just going to move from there. All right, that makes sense. The deck will stay mostly the same. There will just make a small change in the, in the lands it plays. Okay, so I mean, and like we were saying in the Pioneer section, I mean, you have so many fetch lands in a typical modern deck that you even if you only put one trial in, it just actually changes your mana a unreasonable number of games when you don't need to when, you, when you're just taking that turn first turn off or whatever yeah that's exactly what it is because the face is not forcing you to take out turn one off but allowing you to like yeah the exactly. amount of times you just go turn one fetch land and either get triumph or cast bolt is the versatility you need for the card to be good absolutely Okay, so we know the fetch shock mana base is what makes modern modern. We're upgrading that. That can always that's always gonna be awesome. Next up, talk to me about number two. Yeah, a card you also love Omnixilis. So I think there will be two groups of people playing Omnixilis. You will have the most controlled, sober brewer just going for the lines of turn one Ragavan, turn two, maybe a creature that are willing to sacrifice, or like double one one that mills three cards, can turn three of Nixilis, like in a sh sort of sacrifice or rock, shoot or rock those sacrifice deck, and just casting the fair of Nixilis for the value plan and start with the Punisher. And then you will have the other side of the matter where the people go in turn one, try to discard cards, turn two, play a, um, play a discard spell, turn three, Lightning Skelemental, turn 4, Unearthed Skelemental, attack, play Omnixilis, getting on 6. And people trying to live the dream of the huge Skelemental, of the huge Omnixilis on turn 4 or 3, just going big immediately. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Why are we, uh, are we gonna do that? <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna try both. I think sadly the dream of just going for a huge Omnixilis is gonna take a lot of resources, better spent on not doing Omnixilis. And I think the best scenario for the card is where you just go turn 1, Ragavan, can you answer this? Turn two Dragonwolf, can you answer this? Turn three, another creature. And if you can't answer that, turn four Omnixilis, sacrifice any of the foremost creatures, get two Omnixilis and just start going at your face for four damage and return. And then you highlighted this, I think the, the second the card was spoiled is turn one, Ragavan, attack, you know, they, whatever, play Triumph, turn one, they can't kill it. And then we just, Omnixilis turn two on an empty board, uh, sacking our Ragavan to get, uh, and then we end up with a, one on four and one on five at the end of the turn and your opponent's lost four life. That just seems really powerful. If you can get that <laughs> on the play, I think you're winning that game almost every time, right? right. Like, turn two, you have two Blitzwalkers splashing up. The best Blitzwalker removal in the format is either Fury plus... Like, the only way to trade with that on tempo is Fury plus Ephemerate. Really the only way. Anything that's not that is like Asolius Control having to fumble their way into six mana with two prismatic endings... Or like a bounce spell on the token and you still have to deal with a real one. But it's a real fast clock that's going to just take you out of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And people talking about the Punisher mechanic. It's like, if I have two things activating a turn, how many cards can you possibly get to discard? It's, it's just, it just turns into getting domed. Uh, you need those resources. You can't choose to discard two cards on turn two to save four life. That's crazy. I think people in most scenarios are just paying the four life. But it's sort of like Clothis, right? When you play against Clothis, you say, hey, it's two life per turn. And then the game goes six turns long. And you're staring at your life to land six. And I'm like, I have to get rid of that Clothis in three turns for win the game in three turns. I'm running out of ideas. The other interaction I really like is that the Omnixilis with Kroxa, because it takes away the ability of like, oh, if they keep a card in their hand to, you know, in the late game to save two life. Like you like play Kroxa if it's just a land they're holding. Like Kroxa gets rid of it, they lose three life. You dome them for two after that's done. Like you just have all these ways, like pressure their hand, you're you're putting creatures in your graveyard with Omnixilis, Kroxa. You don't want to sacrifice once Kroxa's in play, um, but 
but it, you know, it's it's just it, it asks for the same kind of stuff. It, it rewards you for putting a bunch of stuff in your graveyard. It, it really puts them in the bind of like what to keep in their hand, what not, and it just turns into a bunch of like ancillary life loss that they struggle to deal with. Yeah, I agree. So I think you want this in a Croxa, Ragavan, um, Greased. Greased also works really well as another thread that also has a good use for creatures on the board and that also makes one ones. You can suck two Nixilis. Yeah, and then we should just say Mayhem Devil is a devil, so it turns the two life into a drain. <laughs> so they you gain two while it's happening, and, and it also pays you off for the sacrifice from Omnixilis. If you're playing Ragavan, uh, right, that's making treasures that can sacrifice, Croaks of sacrifices, yeah. Fetchland sacrifice. So uh, uh, Mayhem Devil, much more powerful in Pioneer. I think there'll certainly be a Mayhem Devil um, Omnixilis list. I will propose one on Monday uh, in Pioneer, and and and. You know, we, we know like Aspiring Spike had like a John Sacrifice list um, that was playing Grist and uh, Mayhem Devil and uh, a bunch of other stuff. So it seems like a, a, a natural home, right? Exactly. It seems like it will be just at home. And I don't think the card will break anything, but I fear the turn one Ragavan into turn two Omnixities. Like, it forces you to get rid of the Ragavan. If that Ragavan connects and it doesn't die, uh, that's going to be the world of hurt. Yeah, normally you wait to like combat right to see if the ragavan's gonna attack again and this time you can just be like i sack it in my first main phase while you were waiting around and exactly that that's also a scenario like really relevant to add because of how it works you can just play your creature you have priority because you're an active player caster of nixilis your opponent never gets a chance to remove it so yeah and going downwards we have a card that is not as powerful but really interesting in how we talked about Chessing Pioneer maybe playing it in a fair way Luxior in modern is never going to be played in a fair way and that is Luxior so you guys highlighted that this we know a lot of cards combo with Devoted Druid but but this is tutorable two different ways that are already modern playable and that that kind of makes it really exciting right is the the Stoneforge Mystic is already a modern playable card and and Urza Saga is, is also a modern playable card Urza Saga is just extremely powerful and the fact you can just get it with Stoneforge Mystic allows you to just present a really stupid deck that I'm gonna show on Monday because this also combos with Saheli Rai in the fact that you just equip your Saheli minus two on itself and then you will get a new Saheli and you will go like but wait the new one isn't equipped it's a creature it doesn't matter because the minus two Saheli makes like the copy an artifact so you can keep minusing out two on itself which gives you infinite death and infinite ETB triggers so in Altar of the Brood, which is a card you can also get via Ursa Saga, Saheli plus Altar of the Brood plus Luxure is an instant is just mill your opponent's deck. Is it good? I don't know. It's fun. So th this fits in a bunch of different combos, and the combo pieces are all tutorable with Urza Saga, which is one of the most powerful cards in the format already, so we're not having to play bad cards to find the, the tutor pieces. Yeah, exactly. So we have Stoneforge Mystic, we have Ursasa, we have the Devoted, we have the Elam, we have everything. We're just slamming everything that we can fit in a Chukar Monty combo pile and hoping it works. Love it. Okay, so those are the three cards you think. These are really great cards. I'm excited to yeah. be with them. Then we have cards you just like, cards you're excited to play with, but you're not sure how good they're going to be in the format. So let's start out with your number four card from the set. Number four, I think it's Vivian on the hand, which is in a middle point because it's going to enable a whole new deck, but I'm not even sure if that deck is playable, which is because... The combo with Playmon Accomplice means with four mana you get your make your own splinter twin. Play Playmon Accomplice, use red use red mana, put Vivian into play, sacrifice the playbound, get a failure guardian, blink your Vivian, sacrifice the failure, get a karmic guide, reanimate failure, blink again the Vivian and get a Kikishiki and win the game. Is that good enough? I don't know. Four mana win on modern is sort of splinter twin. Sadly, you have to play a lot of bad cards in your deck, like Federal Guardian, Blame Mana Complice, and Karmic Guide. And it's very disruptible by played creature removal, right? They can bolt yeah, your... Not car quite. Your, they can kill your Planebound Accomplice in response to its activation. Yeah, but here's the thing. If you have any 3-drop on the board, you still win. You sure, yep. Like, Vivian's plus 1 doesn't target. Oh, good point. So if you have creatures on board, you are still getting your win. And if they hold up the removal till after you plus, you get a failure guardian and get to keep your random making six mana planeswalker. Right. So if you have two creatures on board, they need two removals. Or at least worst case scenario, you are keeping a six mana planeswalker that just makes a four for every turn. So that's a really interesting aspect of it. If the plus two was a target like activated ability, I wouldn't like it nearly as much as I do. But the fact you can just go like turn three, eight, Season Pyro to turn for Playmon Accomplice combo means your opponent now has to get rid of the Season Pyro and the Playmon Accomplice before you win. All right, yeah, that is a really great note. And to your point, once you blink the Vivian, it's no longer being sacrificed at the end of turn because of Planebound Accomplice. Exactly. Do you think this deck is going to need to play four Planebound Accomplice, or is it going to also need to play a few other expensive Planeswalkers for the times you don't have Vivian of the Hunt in the hand when you have 
you're playing on accomplice on or is season pyromancer there to just filter you know to solve that problem for us like i think you're just relying on the pyros to solve that problem you can play fear playing on accomplice because you're playing white you have access to Infernal Recruiter and Eladam Call that get you the Playman on Curb for when you have the Vivian and you can play more of a fair game just getting stuff like Fury and other stuff in the meanwhile but I think only time will tell the fact you can just this is a turn to win with Utopia Sprawl and Arrow Elf as well hmm that's exciting yeah the fact you can just have the turn to Nats is and it's like turn to Emrakul this is a turn to win hmm. which is quite different you don't get the fate. Like, people propose to turn to dream with Luca and Planebound, and you just call an Embracool, and your opponent went turn three, the fate bounce your Embracool, your dreams are shattered. <laughs> like, there's a difference between winning and putting an Embracool into play. That's true. That's very true. And so, after that, we have. Now we start going to the cards I like, but I'm not. Like, these are additions to decks rather than build arounds, right? Got it, got it. It's, there's only one build around left. So, Broker's Charm and Endless Detour and Voidren are here on the list as number 5, 6, and 8. I'm concealing number 7 for a reason. 5, 6, and 8, Broker's Charm, Endless Detour, Voidren. Just the three color removal spells you said before. Three mana removal with upside. Because that's what they do. They are good removal under colors. Voidren being. Voidren and Detour being extremely just versatile. And Broker's Charm being a draw to on good colors. I don't think it's better than Archmage Charm, sadly. But you're going to try these cards at least, and if they feel bad, it's just like, all right, well, I'll just go back to the old, I, other... I gave them a try. Yeah. I, I, f I fought the good fight. Right. <laughs> and then just leave them on the dust. But yeah, I th the, the one I have the most faith is Endless Teacher because of the versatility, and maybe Bolt as a two-off in Esper Control because of... Yeah. Removing everything is really relevant when you're in a format that has 5 mana Defeti and Mooked Rich and as cards you have to get rid of as Control deck. Sure. Kills, uh, you know, kills Titan right with its trigger on the stack, etc., etc. Yeah, it gets rid of literally everything. And on number seven, I have the other build around that I actually got on deck list ready for Monday, which is Rebuild Your Ascendancy. Okay. Which is shockingly a card that seems like a pioneer playable level, but it's much better in modern due to the Evoke Elementals. Rebuild Your Ascendancy reads. Whenever you sacrifice a creature one time per turn, you get to return a creature with lesser mana value from your graveyard into play. So there we start living the dream of playing a Fury, getting back a Grief permanently, evoking a Grief, getting back a Season Pyromancer, playing my Obnixity, sacrificing a 3-drop and getting a 2-drop, or just evoking my Shriek while getting back a Season Pyromancer. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. The card comes into play tapped. You can only do it once a turn, but the, the play lines you're outlining here are stuff you want to do anyway, right? So this is allowing you to get value the turn you play it. You can play because because of the free pitch elementals exactly. So it's the normal tempo negative turn one you play the ascendancy. That's a bad turn. But this turn you're you know doing four damage spread out however you want and getting back something. Yeah, or just like a turn three season pyromancer. This card something. This card another season or a grief turn two. Reverse ascendancy into fury gets you back whatever you discarded. Could it be could it be even a grief. That's the sort of line that you're just playing good cards. Like I haven't added any bad cards to the deck besides Shrikmo or any like. Value, la um, value card that you want to fit into it. Like, Ingot Shure in the sideboard is just insane. One, ma one red mana, get back a Grief, and destroy your artifact. Yeah. The only bad charm you really having to add to your deck is uh, Riveteer's Ascendancy. Shh. They don't need to know that. <laughs> we know that. They don't need to know that yet. <laughs> and yeah, you have to add it. All right, so that sounds really exciting. I'm excited to see that list. Uh, uh, it should be really sweet. Uh, I another card we talked about um, as a possible Pioneer card with that was uh, Eldritch Evolution, which is oh, something yeah. that I think uh, you might even have in your shell. I think I think the best card you can feed is Greased, allowing you to sort of nullify the sacrifice on the minus two. Mm. Which is like a huge tempo move. And then just, yeah, Greased, or even, you know, Omnixilis. Yeah, that all sounds awesome. After that, we go to like two new additions, as you discussed. Extraction Specialist is a card I just love, because I just love playing bleak cards, I just love Ephemerate. And this is like rallier, but weaker, but only only on mono white and without requiring revolt. Is it better than rallier? I don't think so. Will I play it in decks that don't have green? I will. Right. <laughs> Why? Because I just love the effect, the dream of just going this into Charming Prince, into Wall of Omens, make a instant speed three creature board, draw a card. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, that sounds pretty glorious. Um... Obviously, it can be brought back by Sun Titan and some of these like white value lists. They top out with Sun Titans. Exactly. You just get Sun Titan and just go deep. Yeah. And finally, we have Sync Electron Steroids in Nimble Larsenist, which doesn't see much modern play, but it's just a card I really love. And if I try to feed any magic again, I will, of course, feed any Nimble Larsenist somewhere in, this, in the 95. 
All right, let me ask you about a card that you seemed really high on during spoiler season and I don't see in this list. You seemed really excited about Tainted Indulgence and I don't see it here. Yeah, because... So, my problem with Tainted Indulgence is the fact that alongside Esper Charm, I only see them in one deck, which is a deck I really think I will enjoy, but I'm not even sure if it's going to be good, and those two cards fit in only that place. Okay, so just a quick reminder. Tainted Indulgence, blue-black instant, draw two cards, then discard a card... Unless there are five or more mana values among cards in your graveyard. Yeah, so I think that card, alongside the um, Obscura Charm, are really fun cards, are good cards. And I think they only fit in one deck, which is like an Esper Reanimator Instant Speed Control Shell. I don't know if that deck will even be good. I hope it will, because I really enjoy playing that sort of Drogo stance and having the versatility of Lord of Lines of Play. But I think only time will tell. But trust me, I'm testing that deck as soon as the cards are live. Okay, so it sounds like we have a bunch of sweet uh, ideas here, at least some pieces to try uh, beyond the, the top four or five cards that you think are like actual build-arounds. And then even Tainted Doll just doesn't make the top ten, but it's going to maybe enable uh, a deck that you're excited to play. Exactly. So yeah, all in all, I really like New Capena. I think it's in a low-power set mode. Like, it's not, it's not, um, what's the name of, it's not in rain, of course. Right. But thank it, God I think for it's, that. What, eh, thank God for that. I think it's what they should aim for in standard, mostly. Like, we're discussing cards that we like. We're adding new cards to the formats without destroying them from inside. Yeah, I like that. All right, well, we're going to leave it there. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye to Emmy. If you tune in on Monday, we are going to have a bunch of our first new brews for New Capenna in both Pioneer and Modern. So until then, I bid you adieu. Bye-bye, everybody. Have a nice Take night. Care. If you enjoyed this episode of Fetless Brewing, remember to tune in on Monday as me and David continue to talk about the streets of New Capena and present our top 10 cards that got us excited for brewing in the following weeks. You will see our first new draft for the following spring season of Modern and Pioneer. And also, remember you can follow us on YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. Or you can always support us on our Patreon to keep the Fetless family going. And hope you stay safe. We will see you next time. Bye bye.